Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta, thanking you for joining me. We've got two hours ahead of us talking about the things that matter most. In this first hour, I'm going to introduce you to a webinar which is going on tonight, conducted by uh, Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck. How to Have a More Peaceful Family by Christmas, How to Have a Better Family by Christmas. It's a, it's a Catholic Parents Guide to Advent, and we'll talk about this and what the, the content uh, of this webinar will be like, and encourage you to take advantage of the uh, opportunities. Also coming up, uh, we're going to hear a story from Derek Taylor, a historian teaching at Santa Fe College in Florida, uh, how Luther helped him become a Catholic. Um, it's a fascinating story, and uh, part of it was Luther's quest to find the certainty of his own salvation. Uh, Derek made that his quest as well. And we're going to also take time to talk about St. Paul's social circle. Now, this is an area of New Testament studies which has become popular in the last 20, 25 years, and there's quite a bit being published on it. But if you take a look, just, just at the letter to the Romans, take a look at the 16th chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and count the number of names that are there. You'll find at least 25 names that he refers to. These are friends. Uh, there's a kin's a person in there. There's uh, co-workers in the Lord. And you'll, you're just shocked at the, the range of his associations. Uh, St. Paul was, uh, you, I don't know how to put this, but what was he? He, he? he was flourishing in human relationships. And he must have been somebody who was, you could get along with him. You could be live an entirely uh, enjoyable, and fruitful, and hardworking life. We're going to look at again his social circle. It's it's amazing, and then we look at uh, a book edited by Lucy Sholin called Jesus Three Six Five. It's a reminder that the Lord wants to speak to us three hundred and sixty five days a year, and He'll meet us right where we are. So that's coming up too. But first, I want to make sure we get to today's headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News. For Monday, December 4th, it's the Feast of St. John Damascene. Today's news is brought to you by Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at avemaria.edu. At least four people were killed and dozens more injured when a bomb exploded during Catholic Mass in the Philippines. The Islamic State has claimed responsibility. The local bishop says, quote, there is so much fear now, but faith accompanies us and supports us. New York Senator Kristen Gillibrand is calling on the United Nations to condemn Hamas amid the war overseas. The senator delivered an impassioned speech at the United Nations headquarters in New York, rehashing the sexual violence committed by Hamas on Israelis during the October 7th attacks. The barbaric acts are acts beyond what we have seen from ISIS, Al-Qaeda, other horrific terrorist organizations around the globe. 
She called on the United Nations to sanction Hamas as a terrorist organization, prompting her audience to robustly applaud in support of her forceful request. A bank order showing President Biden received regularly monthly payments from a business entity associated with his son, Hunter Biden. The House Oversight Committee released a document alleging the payments of nearly $1,400 began in 2018. A redacted bank order included a monthly transfer for then-former Vice President Biden and a source telling the New York Post that at least three recurring payments totaling over $4,100 were made between September and November of 2018. And the attorney for former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin says he's been released from the hospital and returned to federal prison. Chauvin was sentenced to more than 20 years as a part of a plea deal connected to the death of George Floyd in 2020. He was stabbed nearly two dozen times by an inmate late last month. The inmate accused in the stabbing is charged with attempted murder. From your Ave Maria Radio Dodd News Desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. You know, we associate Christmas, the Feast of the Nativity, with joy uh, and with family and with great fellowship together. Uh, and it's good to remember that there's actually, the Church has a season of preparation uh, for that. It's called Advent, and we had our first Sunday in Advent, uh, this last Sunday. It's a time to make room in our hearts and homes for Christ. And uh, Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck are doing that very thing. Uh, Greg is director of the Pastoral Solutions Institute. This is a group, a pastoral telecounseling practice, providing Catholic-integrated marriage, family, and individual counseling services to Catholics around the world. He and Lisa have co-authored uh, 20 books looking at um, the Catholic faith and integrating psychological insights. Uh, they've also started, this is just a few years ago now, with, they did this with Holy Cross Family Ministries, founding the Peyton Institute for Domestic Church Life. This is an organization dedicated to promoting Catholic family well-being and spirituality through original research, professional training, and the development of creative resources. And tonight, there is a webinar that Greg and Lisa will be hosting. And Greg, good to have you here. Good to be here, Al. Thank you so much. So, so talk to me about the webinar coming up tonight. I want to make sure we get that in. Yes, well, it's absolutely free. It's called A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, The Catholic, Parent Guides to, a Catholic Parents' Guide to Advent. It's sponsored by both Ave Maria Radio and the Archdiocese of New York Marriage and Family Life Office. And it's going to happen tonight, um, which is Monday, December 4th, at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, 6 p.m. Central. And we're going to be talking about how families can take advantage of the grace of Advent to make a little more room in their hearts and their homes for Christ and draw closer to God and each other in this season. So... Uh, what kind of uh, what kind of things will you be talking about? Well, well, first we'll spend a little bit of time talking about the you know traditional Advent practices, you know the Advent wreath and Advent calendar, Jesse trees, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, we have a lot of free resources that folks can download in the webinar. Uh, we have a Catholic home family uh, Advent and Christmas calendar that has an activity on it every day mm-hmm. for little things that families can do to draw closer to God and to each other. Uh, we have uh, a one sheet with the blessings for an Advent wreath for the Christmas tree and for the uh, nativity set all on that as well. Plus, um, 
we uh, are going to have a giveaway for folks who join Catholic Home tonight. We're giving away, uh, for the first 50 people who sign up, we're giving a copy of our How Our Family Prays Each Day uh, picture read-aloud storybook, uh, which talks about how families can bring Christ into their homes and really make the Lord part of their families. But the main body of the, the talk is going to be on what we call the Liturgy of Domestic Church Life. Yes. And it's an actual framework. It's a simple, practical framework that families can live out every day um, in order to make their relationships stronger and enable their families to be filled with Christ's love, um, to have strong family rituals that enable them to work, play, talk, and pray together uh, in a more meaningful way. And we'll also be talking about ways that families can take better care of each other and uh, their parish and their neighbors, too. So it's a sort of a full family workshop all within an hour. Wow. Uh, yeah. Just giving folks the overview and then presenting some resources that will help families really live that out. Yeah, the church in, in its liturgical calendar uh, really does offer uh, a good framework uh, for parents. Uh, you, you can hang a lot of hats on various aspects of the liturgical calendar. So... No, that's true, and and I think that that you know Advent is is one of those seasons where you know we can really say that uh, because again it's it's calling us to kind of pause and reflect on what it means to bring a little bit more of Christ's love into our hearts and homes. But I have to say, you know, most families, um, and it's true of my family too, we get busy with all the stuff, uh, right? Absolutely. Getting getting ready for Christmas and all the all the shopping and all the decorating and all the baking and all the doing, and and that's great. You know, but, um, you know, we're inviting parents to take a, a little bit of time tonight uh, and reflect on how we can use all of those things to actually draw closer to Christ and each other. Because as we dive into all those things and get really, really busy, you know, we, we tend to focus on getting the things done and forget, you know, that it's yeah. meant to uh, lead to greater connection with God and each other. And so we end up, you know, arguing and bickering right. and, uh, you know, getting on each other's nerves and, yeah. you know, parents wondering why the kids aren't helping out and the parents and the kids are wondering why mom and dad are so grumpy and you know so we're yeah. we're hoping to take some time at the very beginning of the advent season to really reflect on the reason for this advent season uh, and help uh, help parents prepare uh, in a more meaningful way to to connect with the graces of the season this is this is a great opportunity again to have a more intentional uh, advent season as a family uh, i think of psalm 127 here uh, if the Lord does not build the house, in vain do its labors do its builders labor. Um, you know, Amen. so <laughs> you you want to make sure that uh, as you're building your house, that in fact you are moved uh, by the Lord, that you're taking advantage of the resources that He's made available to you. And so this is coming up tonight, a webinar seven o'clock Eastern. And uh, do people need to register? Yeah, you have to register, but it is free. So we just need to know that you're there, and it's also part of the giveaway, too. So if, oh, that's uh, right. this way, yeah. if, if you're registered, then, then we, we know where to send stuff to. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> but, that's, but it's absolutely free, and so we're just asking folks to go to catholichom.com slash webinar. That's catholichom.com slash webinar uh, to reserve their spot. Very good. And uh, again, make sure you do that. That'll also make you uh, available for the, uh, the uh, giveaway. Uh, at the end mm-hmm. of the night. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Advent and how preparation uh, for Christmas uh, often does uh, put new pressures on families um, as they get ready for special meals, as they get ready for special visits of relatives, 
as they get ready for um, you know just gift giving and all that's involved there. And especially as your family grows, your gift giving tends to grow. And then uh, you find out grandkids are coming along, and that also increases the amount of gift giving. And it's important, I think, to be intentional about this. Otherwise, you get swamped, and you wonder why what was intended to be a source of joy has become a source of pressure and even sometimes irritation. And so uh, you're offering tonight a way to help people (laughs) take, take a... Step back. Well, that's, and that's our hope. In, insulate themselves from that problem. Well, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a it's a way of connecting with with the spiritual uh, dimensions of this season that that have, I think, real practical impact. You know, um, you know, we can get caught, so caught up in all the the material aspects of it all that we forget that it's really about building relationship. You know, and uh, you know, for example, on, on more to life every day, you know, we talk a lot about Saint John Paul's theology of the body, and one of the insights from there is that. You know, building the kingdom of God isn't about doing stuff, whether it's big ministries, you know, or or or, or little things. It's it's really about building relationship. Right. Uh, building the kingdom of God is about inviting Christ into our relationships and living out Christ's love in those relationships. And so, this liturgy of domestic church life that we're talking about tonight it, it gives families a framework for building a more peaceful family by Christmas, with just the rec- the very concrete, specific recommendations that we'll make. Uh, and the practices that every family can do, you know, uh, it, it's it's very simple. And whatever the construction of your family is, if you're you know if you're a, a traditional family or a, a single parent family or a divorced household or whatever the issue is, you know, th- this framework will work for you, uh, and it'll help you uh, really create a stronger uh, relationship, create stronger relationships with your home. It'll help you create more meaningful rituals that will enable your family to connect in a deeper way. And it'll also show you how to care more deeply for each other. And that's really what uh, Advent is about, being able to open up that space in our homes to bring a little bit more of Christ's love into it all so that we don't just get caught up in all this stuff and the busyness. You know, I I have several friends, um, you know, who who talk about how much they hate Christmas. They hate this time of year. It's just, it just, it's just all this busyness and all this nonsense and yeah. all this drama. And I get it. You know, when you subtract relationship and grace from all this stuff, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a terror, honestly, isn't it? I mean, you just feel, you just feel obliged to do so many things on top of all the things you already have to do. And, and so this, I hope, uh, a more peaceful family by Christmas, the Catholic Parents Guide to Advent, will, will help give parents that shot of grace that they need to really be able to focus on what's most important uh, and have that more peaceful family by Christmas. Talking with Dr. Greg Popcheck, uh, he and his wife Lisa hosting tonight uh, a peaceful family by Christmas. Uh, it's a Catholic Parents Guide to Advent, and it'll be tonight, seven o'clock Eastern time. And you can register and do register because there'll be a giveaway, uh, and you'll need to be registered to be to participate in it. But it's Catholic Home H O M Catholic Home H O M dot com slash webinar and that again is tonight it's totally free of charge uh but you do want to register again it's catholic home hom.com slash webinar do you address the difficulty of uh, unbelief uh in families in other words you have a, a cousins uncles uh maybe even children who are not themselves uh, believers and yet the family overall is celebrating the, the Christ uh, incarnation. Sure. 
uh, which is, quote, the reason for the season, and yet you don't want to exclude uh, these relatives because you love them. But mm-hmm. you're focused in on the coming of Christ, and they are saying, well, you know, I'm glad you believe, but I don't. Well, that's the kind of thing we actually deal with in the Catholic home community. I mean, so so really, all this webinar is is all about introducing people to uh, the Catholic Home app and the Catholic CatholicHOM dot com uh, mm-hmm. website. It's where we where we take questions like that every day. You know, so we're accompanying hundreds of Catholic families all over the world on the Catholic HOM platform, uh, and the point of that play is to give people a place to come together and really learn how to live the Catholic difference in family life and deal with those kinds of questions. So in addition to the podcasts and videos and downloadable activities, we are uh, we also have our whole team of pastoral counselors and coaches on the Catholic HOM platform, yeah, that's great. Uh, whether folks are, are visiting it online at CatholicHOM.com or downloading the app, to answer those kinds of questions and have those kinds of discussions every day. How do we live the faith more meaningfully at home and extend it and, ex- and share that with our extended family as well? Yeah. Given the, the size of your network, Work. There's virtually nothing somebody can bring up that uh, you haven't seen, heard about, or faced before. Is that right? Oh, I, I would say that's that's absolutely true. I mean, we've yeah. dealt with with every kind of question from how do I meet my needs and my babies to you know the teens are pushing back against our rules to <laughs> you know what you were just sharing about you know the, the 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 uncle that doesn't believe or the the aunt who makes a dra- makes drama every Christmas and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. everything in between. Yeah. It's all about helping families live that Catholic difference more meaningfully in everything they do. All right. Well, Greg, thanks. So I hope the folks will go. Can, yeah, you bet. I hope the folks will come over to catholichom slash webinar and sign up for the regist- uh, for the presentation tonight. Okay, Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck will be there. Webinar tonight, seven o'clock Eastern Time. CatholicHomeHom dot com slash webinar. Uh, you can register and do register so you can participate in the uh, the lit drawing and the giveaway. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchek. We'd all love to do more to serve others, but where do you find the time? Well, it's easy if you remember that Christian service begins at home. Remind your family that everything God's given you is meant to be passed on to other brothers and sisters in the Lord when you're done. Encourage your family to take good care of the clothes, toys, furniture, and other blessings you've been given so that others can delight in them when it's their turn. Then once per season, as a family, gather the gently used clothes, toys, and other goods you've finished enjoying and bring them to your parish or other community center that can donate them to other families who are waiting to be blessed as you have been. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Believers who respond to God's Word and become members of Christ's body are intimately united to Him, the Catholic Catechism tells us. In that body, those who believe are united with Christ through the sacraments in a very real and hidden way. The body's unity does not do away with the diversity of its members who engage in a diversity of functions. The unity of the mystical body triumphs over all human divisions. As St. Paul says, there are no Jews, no Greeks, no slave, no free man. All are one in the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the body of the church, the principle of creation and redemption. 
We are united with Christ in his Passover. All his members must strive to resemble him until Christ is formed in them. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica Isn't it awesome that we today do not recognize his presence in the Eucharist? Is it because we really don't go to him in humbleness of heart and say, Lord, I don't believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to see you. I want to recognize you. I cannot live without you. Are we saying that? EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? stanthonyservices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at stanthonyservices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street, sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, uh, Derek Taylor, is an adult convert to the Catholic faith, not raised in a religious home, but was a student of history, is a student of history, and was intrigued by Martin Luther's quest to find the certainty of his own salvation. And it was this study of Luther's quest that eventually led Derek to consider the Catholic Church. Uh, Derek, good to have you with me. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Al. I appreciate it. Let's uh, let's go back to the home you were raised in. It wasn't a religious home. Was there any even nominal faith there? Oh, sure. My my parents, you know, they, they, you know, we stopped going to church when I was like eleven or twelve. Um, <laughs> it conflicted with the NFL schedule. My dad wanted to watch games. <laughs> we wanted to stay and watch games. That was the, my parents were not like they would not be irreligious or anti-religious, but they weren't really. If you press them, they probably call themselves, call themselves Christians. More, I lost whatever faith I had probably by the end of high school, mm-hmm. certainly by early, you know, up through college, and uh, it was in graduate school, actually. Um, really? Uh, got baptized. So um, so it wasn't really, I mean, my upbringing wasn't, wasn't the problem with my parents or anything. It was more me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of an adolescent atheism, uh, more more or less, and... 
Uh, but it wasn't something, you know, it wasn't something it practiced in any, any that way. My dad's a very moral person and everything, but yeah, but yeah that was the background. It, so you retained that kind of atheism uh, until the, into graduate school. What did you think? I'm sure you'd met many Christians, you know, of mm-hmm. that you respected. What did you make sure. of the fact that they believed things that you found implausible? Um... I didn't think about it much at all. Okay. Um, I liked them. I, I did, you just, you know, boy, I, you know, this is something about when I say atheism, I'm almost hesitant to use that term because it wasn't like I reasoned myself into it. Yeah. It was a, it was a matter of, long story, I've, been, I've gone through a problem with depression in my life. Mm-hmm. So this is related to this. Um, I felt miserable. I felt hopeless. Therefore, there is no God. It's about as much thought as I, I, mean, I don't mean to denigrate myself too much because I did actually, after a while, okay, this is, I don't believe there's any purpose to the universe. I have to go believe leave this. I did try and be serious about it, but uh, it wasn't a real well thought out thing. I thought it was, I, I like those people. I I remember thinking, you know, this would be nice if this were true, yeah. but I just knew it wasn't. Yeah, that and that creates the problem of whether you're attracted to a lie because it makes you feel better. Um, yeah, and that was that was one thing I'll give myself. It made me feel worse. <laughs> right. It made it, well, I thought, I thought that was an adult thing. Like, okay, you have to suck it up. You have to you have to accept this, you know, whatever this is, and that, that probably is, is, you know, pushed me toward like Christianity because you'd have to accept suffering there too. Yeah, yeah. and so that was, uh, yeah, that's why I did that. I, I, that's what if I had any criticism of Christians before that, I thought, well, this is, this is just, you know, I guess what would it, you know, marks the opiate of the people, like it was just there to soothe wounds or something. Yeah, not true. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a com- it's a com- it's a comfortable way. It ke- you don't have to ask hard questions about purposelessness mm-hmm. or, or evil. Um, but when did you tap into Luther as somebody, you know, a personality that you found curious? Oh, from the beginning, I'd never heard, I mean, really heard of Luther until I, I got into well, probably undergraduate first. I first heard about I first, you know, I don't think I knew much about the Reformation before I took classes as an undergrad, and then in graduate school you get to do this stuff more deeply. That was early modern uh, Britain was my area of study. And okay. So you have to know about that yep. uh, to study early modern England. And, um, I mean, I say fascinated, I detested him, actually, because he could be kind of a miserable person. Right. But I, I knew from the beginning, I'm like, even as someone who did not, you know, I, I, I didn't have a, a dog in the fight. Like, I think this is, I didn't say he was making it up, but like he's, He's giving these reasons. I don't think they make any sense, and there are probably other things going on there. And I thought that I thought the church basically. I thought it was a tragic thing, even when I wasn't Christian. The Reformation, like mm-hmm. it destroyed this medieval order, destroyed this, you know, sacred canopy that mm-hmm. society had had. Right. And um, it's hard hard to see what Luther did in any in any sense. Well, not in any sense, but as at least overall destructive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't seem to have even accomplished what he had hoped originally. So. Uh, no, I don't think so. Right. Um, so you you begin though to think that um, his own quest for salvation has something to teach you. Yeah. Well, the thing I you know one of the things about him, I never when I became Catholic, I never had any never had any doubts that Protestantism was wrong. I almost feel bad saying it because you go to graduate school, you learn you learn that the world's a complicated place. These things are complex, so 
you always get this almost guilt when you find something to be really simple. <laughs> I know it seemed really simple. He was wrong. <laughs> and again, I grew up in a Protestant area. And so I had lots of, you know, two people who were very, to this day, very wonderful people. I'm like, I wanted to have an answer for them as to why. And so I'm like, okay, is this, did I, did I make a hasty G? So I, I've read a lot of it for years. And that's what kind of what my article in crisis magazine was about was like, I basically come to the end of all that. I've, I've kind of, I wanted to, I wanted to understand Luther cause I really didn't like him. I mean, I really, you know, when you're for, 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 as a convert, you get, I think you get, you're kind of on fire. You get angry about things. Yeah. Oh, Luther. Yeah. And I didn't want to go through life like that. And, um, <laughs> Well, no, and like, you know, I, I taught Western Civ courses, right? I had to teach Luther to, you know, at a secular state university. I, I couldn't go in there and start raving about Luther. I didn't feel, you know, professional. And <laughs> so I had to find things to defend in Luther. And one of the things that I found as you go on, like, the man was then had some emotional problems mm-hmm. and stuff that I, I can identify with. I had depression. I, he almost certainly had depression. Mm-hmm. And I know the yearning for certainty, and you can't find it. And so it, it, it humanized him for me, made him seem, he just seems like kind of like a monster. Like a lot of Protestant Catholic polemic, you know, he's a monster who's, not, you know, Catholic woman, he becomes a monster, and he could act like a monster, by the way. Right. That part's fairly true at times, but there are other times where, okay, this is, this is what he was aiming at. It's not some sort of, you know, he's just wanting to destroy everything, which it kind of looks like when you, when you first approach, like his, especially his polemical works. They're very, like, their language is really violent. And yeah. You tell don't come from a good place. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he's got scatological humor. Uh, you know, he's oh, just... Yeah. He's, he's a difficult... Uh, of course, you know, you can in some way defend him because he's living at a, sure. an earlier time where the virtue of civility wasn't uh, always practiced. Sure. Even Thomas Absolutely. Moore uh, could write some... Yeah. Pre- <laughs> <laughs> he did write some very risky... That's true. People, when they... You know, they were arguing about salvation, right? The absolute most important thing in the universe. They didn't hold any, pull any punches back then. So, oh, I certainly, yeah. I mean, you can say he had a way with words, definitely. <laughs> um, so, so his his upbringing uh, as a in a uh, mining family uh, where assertiveness was prized. Uh, his career as a, a theological leader and then a, a, a leader of a, a movement against the established authorities. Uh, did you come to appreciate that or admire it, or did you have to, as a Catholic, have to fight against it? Well, I mean, I don't admire it. <laughs> I want to understand it. I want to understand why he was, I mean, he would say things that just sound, you know, Luther, and again, he says different things to different, to different audiences, to different, at different times, but, you know, he's a voluntarist in his attitude toward God. It means God's primarily defined by his will. Mm-hmm. So he'll say things like, you know, God can will whatever he wants. He can, he can basically do, again, things that are really extreme. And that's where you get him saying things in, um, in some of his works that, you know, yes, God is so active. He call, he actively causes people to sin. He has to be the active cause of everything. And so I want to know where that extremity came from. And when you, you learn, learn more of his personal life, he did have difficulties with his father, but his background in terms of, you know, um, in a world, I, I did not know this, Lindell Roper, one of his biographers, was really good on this, that it's a very... 
it's a place where you have to fight to you know get your to get yourself heard and fight for your for respect and i think that influenced them as well but no it was not a matter of like oh I'm, i now feel moved by his his theological positions i've never had any like that and what he did i i can't excuse it's more i don't want to you don't want to pursue truth to the point of losing charity. Yeah, not just yeah. losing charity, but being a miserable person. That's right. Right. <laughs> and and, uh, and something there where, like, and again, before you know, before he takes the plunge, like I didn't, you know, you read through his work, like up until the time he makes the break, he's more or less an orthodox Catholic theologian. Yeah. And there are things that go on there, and there's things, of course, there are problems with the hierarchy, and obviously at that time period too. So there are circumstances where, you're, okay, so I don't have to, you know, I don't have to see him as a devil with horns and so and that was the really the purpose of my reading that i did for years and years on end and yeah, i came to that through those those types of books um his approach to free will uh is disconcerting and he had that mm-hmm. debate with erasmus how did that strike you yeah and that's that's the thing in there's like the the actual positions like of course you side with erasmus that was probably my favorite work of luther's is his bond of the will because that's where I think it kind of it kind of like clicked for me what he was getting at, and you know when you're suffering and you can't do anything about it, it's a it's a real comforting thing to think that God's going to swoop down without you doing anything at all and save you. Yeah, and um, and that's I think people don't I didn't appreciate it about Luther right when you're searching for certainty, it's like your own salvation. Right? You're terrified, all of those sorts of things. I mean, it seems obvious when you stand back and you're calmly reasoning about this stuff that, yeah, why would you want to deny free will? Yeah. But psychologically speaking, it can solve certain problems for you. You know, if you if you if you are no longer responsible for your 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 own salvation, if you're a certain type of person, that can be psychologically liberating. That's why you have all these Calvinists across you know the 16th and 17th centuries becoming you know radicalized because now, you know, they can they can go tell kings and emperors and popes to go you know. To, to go, you know, kiss off because I've, you know, God has chosen me and not you, and there's nothing you can do about it. It can be actually, from that perspective, and it's a warped one, yeah. Yeah. A, a, an empowering thing. Yeah. And I, I wanted to understand those sorts of things. And yeah, I, I everybody, my, whenever I taught that in class, all the students hated <laughs> the listeners part. Of it. They had no part of it, but I actually, in some ways, in some ways, admired it because he. You mentioned I mentioned pursuing truth, and one of the things about Erasmus I don't like is he's kind of a wishy-washy guy, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, again, Luther with his idea that assertiveness is the mark of a Christian, right. and, you know, I don't believe that, but uh, he did say that he thought that you know the truth about these things is important, more important than because Erasmus is not really worried about peace, and he said, well, truth is more important than peace. Yeah, yeah, I have some sympathy with that to a certain degree, and so I learned to respect. Okay, there is something. He's not just <laughs> a, a mindless, crazy person. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, Luther again is a is, is uncomfortable uh, in this world. I mean, he, he's mm. you know he's a yep. he's a fighter, and he never reaches, as you write, comfortable certainty. Um, yeah. So hold, hold it there, if you would, uh, Derek. We'll come back and continue the conversation. My guest, Derek Taylor. Uh, it has a, a, a really fun piece written uh, for Crisis Magazine called Farewell to Luther. Uh, Luther's theological positions were disastrously wrong, but his anguished search for certainty humanized him for him. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak from More to Life. Would you like to have a better family life by Christmas? 
Join us Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, for our free webinar, A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Advent. In Advent, we're called to make more room in our hearts and homes for Christ. Discover how the grace of Advent can help you celebrate the loving, faithful family life God wants for you. And it's free. Just register at catholichom slash webinar. That's catholichom slash webinar. See you there. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? even things you don't believe in, there are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. 60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope. The Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. This commandment is similar to the Ninth because it uses the word covet, which means to inordinately or inappropriately desire something. And therefore, related to this are concepts that are familiar to us, such as greed or avarice, which is the undue passion for riches and power. Likewise, envy and jealousy are related here. In jealousy, you have something that I want, but I want it inappropriately or excessively. Envy, however, is a very dark thing because it wants to destroy that which is good in another person because it makes me look bad by comparison. And so in all these ways, the Lord is asking us to look very carefully to our desires because they can grow too expansive and lead us into very grave sins. The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. John, chapter 8, verse 51. Jesus is in a discussion with some of the leaders of the Jews. They're talking about Abraham. Abraham lived 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. So in the course of the discussion, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He says that often in the Gospels. He who keeps my word or believes in me will never die. To which the Jews say, Now we know you have a demon. And they say, Abraham died, as did the prophets. All the patriarchs, the great men and women of the history of Israel. All these people died, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets, who died? Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and was glad. To which the Jews say, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am.
afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Derek Taylor, talking about uh, uh, the article that he penned for Crisis Magazine called Farewell to Luther, where he talks about Luther's theological positions, though wrong, um, were worth pursuing for him because of Luther's anguished search for certainty. And this uh, humanizes the magisterial reformer for him. Uh, he actually, because Luther becomes, though, someone who contributes some uh, novel things to theological history. Uh, this idea of absolute certainty about one state of grace is new, isn't it, in the history of the Church? Yeah, yeah nobody had ever thought you could do that. I mean, that's one of the things... Uh, I mentioned it in the, the piece, and uh, the historians have noticed that nobody, no theologian had done that. And I think it was Richard Rex, perhaps. And someone may have done it eventually, but uh, he was the first person to do that. And I think it would have, it took someone like him, who was just so desperate for it, to do that, to sort of, you know, it's weird. He almost sort of read, he read his need back into the scripture, the tradition that, oh, yeah, God has promised us this, and therefore he's got to give it to us. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just not there, uh, you know. But um, that's that seemed to be what happened uh, in his case, and just sort of, you know, uh, he's a kind of person, you know, fiery, but also someone who's you know, imaginative. He wrote hymns and everything, so I can easily see how he might, you know, gin himself up to reading that back into yeah, uh, what just never been there before. Well, when he. I, I guess in your study of him and others, is his faith in Christ, or is it in the certitude that he has? Well, that was uh, that was Paul Hacker's idea, and I think it is in the certitude that he has. I think that's the thing, is that he, in order for it to be real, he has to have this personal certainty that this grace is for me, individually, mm-hmm. personally. He um, Paul Hacker's book is really great. He was a friend of Joseph Rotzinger's, and I uh, was a convert from Lutheranism, and, and in his book, the first chapter, he goes through Luther's commentary on the Creed, on the Apostles' Creed, and he says his commentary on the Creed has, in German, in, uh, there are 11 personal pronouns in it, I, I, me, me. Translated into English, it's 27 personal pronouns. <laughs> like, there's this real emphasis on, you know, I have to be sort of psychologically aware of it for it yeah. to be, you know, operative and... And that was the sort of, that was the thing I think he demanded. Again, he, he's demanding, you know, he's demanding, like, the end of his suffering from the Church. Like, please, you know, end this, end this suffering I have, and, like, the Church doesn't have... It's all the amazing things that God gave the authority of the Catholic Church, he didn't give them the magical power to make every, heal everybody like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think he, when they couldn't give that to him, that's when I think he kind of turned uh, on it. Is... Does he retain hostility to the church? I mean, how he must have had kind of a bittersweet. I mean, he was raised Catholic. He was a Catholic mm-hmm. monk. It. It. Mm-hmm. How. How did he reconcile the affection that he had uh, for mm-hmm. the church for a portion of his life, anyways? Well, that's the thing. He's he's a guy. He's not. He's he. He's comfortable with paradoxes and contradictions. I don't think he. Him like this. This all came from God, so I don't have to worry about contradictions anymore yeah. in his own mind. And he talks about being angry and liking it in his. In, in, um, I quote that I think maybe in the in the in the work. But uh, for someone again who suffered from depression, that's a way, by the way, to get out of it. Uh, you know, this is the era before 
you know, antidepressants you gin up anger, but uh, he also retained a lot, obviously, theologically. He, he retained a veneration for Mary. His theology yeah, of right. the Eucharist is, is closer to the Catholic position yep. than anything else. Yep. Um, you know, both, you know, again, it, it, he didn't, <laughs> he's weird that way. He'd say he's probably the most conservative uh, of revolutionaries, um, definitely compared to his uh, successors, who, you know, took things a lot farther, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't, you know, that's that's kind of him in a nutshell. Like he, you know, well, I guess once he was satisfied with what he <laughs> what he had done, he didn't he didn't feel as bitter anymore. Although I can't say that he again throughout his life had problems with anger. So did he? Did he? Uh, did he? Did he like his renown? His fa- I think he did. Yeah, I think uh, to me, and again, this is something I'm extrapolating from things I've read. But I think he was surprised. I know he was surprised actually when his, like, for example, his 95 theses, which again, there's some debate about this. But from my understanding, he never really intended it to be published. Yeah. And when it became published, he became a celebrity. <laughs> I think that probably gave him the confidence that yeah, I really am right, and these people in the church really are wrong. Yeah, and um, it took a while. It took a while. It took a couple of years, really. Um, 15, 15, 19 uh, debates with Johannes Eck, who was his uh, Catholic interlocutor, who seemed to get seemed to get the better of him a little bit and draw him out and make him force him to the logical endpoint of what he was saying. And and so um, and so, but yeah, I think he. I think once he saw he was the head of a movement, I think that definitely buoyed him. Yeah. Like, yeah. Again, he strikes me as someone who's not. Again, he's assertive, but I think it's assertiveness in reply to deep self-doubt. Mm. And so, when you get that external confirmation, that tends to that tends to make it kind of a heady thing for a person. You know, it's it seems to me that uh, modern education is losing its ability to go back to these really uh, watershed moments in intellectual history and uh, find some uh, empathy with the various characters here. Um, I just, uh, you, I'm curious, with your students, do they, mm-hmm. do they get the drama that's going on between Luther and Erasmus, or, you know, Luther and the uh, Catholic Church? Is... Yeah, that's, in, in that class in particular, the, all the first part of Weston's ever I used to teach, it was always hard because ancient texts are still a lot more distant from people, and I, I did try to make it clear like the stakes of this are humongous for the time because they're arguing about like, you know, if one person's wrong, like all these other people are now damned, yeah. and that you know you can't get bigger stakes than that. But it's also you know debates like that feed into our modern debates about freedom of will with regard to things like you know neurology, uh, neuroscience and stuff like right. that. So they're, they're kind of the same. Those are huge questions. So, I mean, it, it's hard. It, it's hard. Like, in a, like a, you know, you do this stuff for like a week or something in the class. It, it's tough. But I, I think you can kind of get something of that to them. But it's difficult. It's hard to reconstruct, like, you know, the revolutionary thing this was. Yeah. And yeah. Um, why they, like you said, like why they, you know, don't bother with civility <laughs> when everything is at stake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, did you, what did you think, or did you think about the uh, the way the Catholic Church and the Lutheran, uh, I think the World Federation, uh, came to grips with the justification by faith? Uh, did, in your estimation, that do justice to Luther? Oh, the Joint Declaration, you mean? Yeah. What was it, 1999? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know, I... 
I don't know. I mean, I don't think the same thing about Lutheranism is that, like, I think Lutheranism is actually different than Luther. Yeah. <laughs> and there are probably yeah. some Lutheran theologians that might have, maybe in the 16th century, I don't know enough about it, that might have, I don't think Luther would have, Luther would have hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I can okay. tell you that. Okay. I don't think he, I don't, I, I think he would have, look, you, you're not giving me, I, I don't think it does justice to him. He really did reject it. He really did believe these things. Different with his followers, very different um, for a lot of them. Um, he, he was kind of a, um, you know, he was the sort of, I think I've said, I don't know if I said this in the, the essay, but like one of the things about Luther is in a lot of ways he was more important for his example than for his ideas. He wasn't really a great systematic thinker. That's Calvin who played mm-hmm. that role for, for the right. Reformation. Yeah. But he gave the example that you, I guess in a way, psychologically, that you could break away from the church. And that was almost the most important thing. I think people took his thought in different directions. Not totally. They did take you know the basis of it, the whatever, the four solos, the five solos, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. But I mean, beyond that, I don't know. But I, I and I'm not a theologian. I have read the document. I'm not a theologian myself. My training is all in history. So, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I think I do think it soft pedaled Luther. I'll yeah. put it that way. Can't yeah. be for the rest of the Lutheran tradition, but I don't think he would have much use for it. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, so he never. I mean, you're not aware that he ever once having had this certainty, uh, he never once again considered that uh, he could have gone wrong? Not to my knowledge. I know that, for example, you know, uh, Philip Melanchthon, who was his follower, was a lot more irenic. Um, you know, they made, they made attempts to, you know, have meetings with Catholic theologians, try to uh, heal the bridge. He would have nothing to do with it. Okay. Um, it, was, it was already dead and buried. And I, I personally, this is my opinion. I don't think he could have. Like to admit he was wrong, that would that literally destroys him. Because at that point, that's his certainty. The idea that the church was that the medieval church was wrong is proof that he that he's saved. And I don't think he can go back on that. Um, there's there's been a lot of psychologizing of Luther. Do you have much respect for it? You know, I, I've just done this in this phone call. I feel bad. I never liked it. I never liked. Someone who can't respond to these things um, doing that, and there's a famous book called Young Man Luther by Eric Erickson, who was a, a psychologist. And I heard it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't, you know, better than because there's been some, you know, my my old mentor back at the University of Florida told me they you know, he kind of liked that book. But they, the university subscribed to a, a journal called Psychohistory, yeah. and it was such trash they had to cancel it after <laughs> years because it just it's, you can really do a lot of stupid things with right. historical figures. Right. And not even just Luther, but I think, and, and you have to be careful about it. This is why I did admire Lyndall Roper and her biography. She handled it very delicately. I thought they did a good job. Um, you can take in some really bad. I think maybe some of the stuff in the '60s too, with Freudianism, is probably one of the, where some of the stuff goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, any any Catholic should be careful about doing that. You kind of hear that. Uh, again, he's just this, you know, the crazy person, or he's just right. again, you could. Some things kind of sound like that, but there's more going on there. And yeah, I'm not I, I'm uncomfortable with it because I always I always thought my role was to stand up, not stand up, but like these people can't speak for themselves. I, as an historian, had to at least explain them. So yes. people are like, uh, and so yeah, be careful about that. I've said it is, I think it is part of his story, though. I think the psychological is really important. And of course, we know in general, like the psychological and the spiritual are very, very connected. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so you, so but, uh, but you have to do it with care, not not with, and with again, charity. Um, charity equals clarity. Not totally equals it, but I don't think you can. 
I don't think you can just utterly despise someone and then understand them. Right. So right. put it that way. Um, he was incredibly prolific. Uh, mm-hmm. Why? Why? Why did he write so much? You know, he was writing, you know, first of all, he was writing, and I'll say this, this is one thing I didn't know. Uh, you teach, he teaches polemical writings in these classes, you know, the, the letter to the German nobility, the, you know, whatever, the uh, Babylonian captivity, all that stuff. So he's writing polemics. He's writing for, you know, in a way, his life at first, because he is condemned, he can yeah. be executed. And later on, he's the head of a movement, so there's a lot of, you know, he's just, this is just natural sort of warfare and of course, he is a theologian, but he is also leading a new church. So he writes, you know, his uh, short catechism, the large catechism, all these things. For he is—he's still a teacher. He has to teach people. So he writes a lot of uh, works just for that, just for that reason. And so, um, but he, he spends a lot of—he does spend a lot of it, you know. He had a, a magnificent, you know, gift for vituperation. So he spends a lot of it in polemic with his, you know, his Catholic opponents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just he is a he's one of those pivotal figures mm-hmm. uh, in the history of the West, and I've always been fascinated uh, by him, by his energy, by his um, his fierceness. And so I so I was glad to talk with you about it uh, and gather your appreciation of him, even though we would agree his theology is bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but still a fascinating figure. Yeah. Well, Derek, thanks. Good talking with you. Thank you, Al. I appreciate it. Uh, Farewell to Luther, the name of the article. Derek Taylor, its author. It's available. We'll have it online in the Krista Guest Archives for you. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Finding health care for yourself and your family can be isolating and confusing. That's why the Catholic Health Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering Christ-centered health sharing for individuals and families, along with new wellness services to help heal and restore your whole person, spirit, mind, and body. Visit cmfcuro.com to find out more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak from More to Life. Would you like to have a better family life by Christmas? Join us Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, for our free webinar, A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Advent. In Advent, we're called to make more room in our hearts and homes for Christ. Discover how the grace of Advent can help you celebrate the loving, faithful family life God wants for you. And it's free. Just register at catholichom.com slash webinar. That's catholichom.com slash webinar. See you there. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org.
And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, thanking you for joining me over the last two hours. Uh, we, of course, have follow-up information on our topics, uh, Being a Better Family by Christmas, um, again, produced by Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek. It's available in the Cresta Guest Archives, and the con- uh, contact information is there as well. So you can follow up at uh, Greg's uh, webinar, uh, which is, again, uh, tonight is when, when it's happening. So we'll have that information for you. And then uh, follow-up information on uh, how Luther helped Derek uh, become Catholic. That information we followed up by going to AveMariaRadio.net and going to the Christ the Guest archives there. Next hour, we take a look at St. Paul's circle of friends, his social circle, and it's truly remarkable. Just looking at the last chapter of the Book of Romans, for instance, his letter to the Romans, you can count at least 25 names that he's greeting in this closing uh, chapter of the Epistle to the Romans. Uh, These are people he knows. These are people he's developed some kind of relationship with, Some of them are very close, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, for instance. But we're going to look over St. Paul's social circle next hour, and we'll also talk with Lucy Sholand, editor of Jesus 365, on how to meet Jesus every day. I'm Al Cresta. Stay with me. from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Well, good being with you for another hour, talking about the things that matter most. And one area of New Testament study that has become popular over the last uh, 20 years or so is the idea of St. Paul's social network. In other words, his relationship with a wide number of men and women. And I'll tell you, if you just look at the closing chapter to the, of the letter to the Romans, you can quickly look over uh, names like Priscilla and Aquila, Mary, Andronicus, Junius, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Stachys, uh, Apollos, uh, Herodian, Narcissus, Tryphena, Persis, Rufus, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus. I mean, you go down, Philo- Philologus. You go down the list, and you're just amazed that he knows these people. Some of them are relatives to others, so, you know, he talks, greet my kinsman, Herodian. Uh, he talks about, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet these workers in the Lord. Uh, you know, these are co-workers with him. So it's just an amazing um, look at a, a rich life of human flourishing. These were people who worked with him in ministry and those who worked in just being faithful Christians in Rome. So stay with us. We're going to look at St. Paul's social circle. But first, the headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News. For Monday, December 4th, it's the Feast of St. John Damascene. Today's news brought to you by Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at avemaria.edu. 
Pope Francis has added a signature to an interfaith statement for COP28 as a part of the United Nations Climate Summit in Dubai. The Pope was meant to be present at the event, but a respiratory illness forced him to remain in Rome. The statement expresses a, quote, shared concern for the escalating climate impacts. The White House is blaming Iran for attacks on three commercial ships in the Red Sea Sunday. Three vessels that are connected to 14 different nations, which goes to show you the extent to which this is truly a source of global concern and a threat to international peace and stability. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan telling reporters that attacks carried out by Houthi rebels from Yemen were enabled by Iran. The USS Carney shot down several drones after receiving distress calls from the ships. He said Iran is ultimately responsible as it provides weapons to the group. Houthi forces have launched numerous attacks towards Israel and U.S. assets in the region. The governor of North Dakota is dropping out of the race for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. Doug Burgum's decision comes after he didn't meet the requirements to take part in the third Republican presidential debate. He blasted the party's debate requirements, saying they are, quote, taking the power of democracy away from the engaged, thoughtful citizens of Iowa and New Hampshire. And a rare Babe Ruth baseball card is changing hands for $7.2 million. The 1914 Baltimore New Rookie card featuring the Great Bambino fetching that amount in an online auction that ended Sunday. It's the most expensive Babe Ruth item in history and the third highest price ever paid for a sports card. From your Avi Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Well, thanks once again. Uh, I have always wanted to come, well, to come up with a series of talks on St. Paul's social network, his big family of friends and coworkers. Um, so, well, at least I could start by composing a list of all of his friends and co-workers that we see on the pages of the New Testament. And, of course, there are New Testament scholars like uh, T.R. Glover from a, a much earlier generation and F.F. F. Bruce from last generation that have actually done that and cataloged St. Paul's friends and co-workers. So I thank them for their work. Also, I'd like to point out that St. Paul has these commands. I call them the one another commands. Encourage one another, love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. He thought that those were the key words of how we lived our life together as a Catholic community. Um, so we'll keep that in mind because we're going to talk about how he exercised those one another commands. He had a fondness, by the way, for words that begin with the prefix S-Y-N in Greek that means uh, with. So most common of those kind of words were words like co-worker or fellow worker. He also talks about co-fellow slave or uh, fellow soldier. Uh, that's, a lot of those words are things that he made up. They're compound words. Priscilla and Aquila, for instance, in Romans 16, uh, are co-workers. And as Father John speculated, and others have as well, they may have been his closest co-workers, his closest friends. But Timothy in Romans 16, Titus in 2 Corinthians 8, Mark in Colossians 4 and Philemon 24, and Luke in Philemon 24 are all called co-workers. And there are other co-workers of whom we know less. So, for instance, there's Aristarchus, who's co also called Paul's fellow prisoner. Literally, it's fellow prisoner of war, Colossians 4.10, and also in Philemon 24. 
His relationship with his co-workers was enduring. Uh, and you get that, especially looking at Aristarchus. According to Luke, Aristarchus was from Thessalonica. He was with Paul in Ephesus. He joined him later on his last journey to Jerusalem. And he joined him yet again when he set out on his voyage from Judea to Italy, Acts 19, 20, 27. Uh, so co-workers weren't just exaggerated titles bestowed on just anyone. Uh, these are men and women who journeyed. Uh, and remember, journeying back then was not like taking a tour today. It was travailing. <laughs> That's what travel was in those days. Luke calls Aristarchus one of Paul's fellow travelers, Acts 19. But there are others to whom Paul refers to as fellow prisoners. This one of them, Epaphras, in uh, uh, Philemon 23. Epaphras is also called his fellow slave in Colossians 1.7. Uh, they had close relationships. He was an evangelist. Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, Epaphras. He was an evangelist in Lycus Valley, very concerned for the churches that he planted there, uh, Colossae, Hierapolis, Laodicea, mentioned in Colossians 4. There are two other fellow prisoners mentioned, Andronicus and Junia. These were Jewish believers who came to faith in Christ before St. Paul, okay? And he describes them as men of note among the apostles, Romans 16, 7, meaning that they were not only known to the apostles, but eminent apostles themselves, possibly because they were witnesses of Christ's Christ after he was resurrected. Uh, they were living in Rome when Paul sent his letter to the Christians there. And uh, let's return to others whom Paul calls co-workers. He talks about Philemon of Colossae as our beloved fellow worker. He draws, draws attention uh, and appreciation for all of uh, his activities, uh, including hospitality to fellow Christians. He mentions Aphia, presumably Philemon's wife, and he salutes another member of the household, Archippus, possibly their son. Archippus was also a co-worker, although Paul calls him rather a co-fighter. Uh, our fellow soldier is a phrase that he uses to describe Archippus. In Colossians 4.17, the Christians of Colossae are told to give a message to Archippus. See that you fulfill the ministry which you have received in the Lord. So St. Paul is exhorting Archippus through his uh, parish family, you might say, uh, there in uh, Colossae. There's another man that Paul calls his fellow soldier, and that's Epaphroditus of Philippi, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, Philippians 2.25. Epaphroditus was entrusted by the members of the Philippian church with a gift of money for Paul. Uh, Paul was under house arrest in Rome, and so they asked Epaphroditus to give him what help he could, go, you know, help him out. And at some point in carrying out those duties, Epaphroditus fell ill, almost died. When news of his illness went out, got back to Philippi, his friends were filled with anxiety. And, you know, he recovered, and then he was anxious to relieve their fears. And uh, he was also anxious, though, to stay there with Paul and make himself useful as he had been charged. But Paul sent him back. And he sent him back with a letter in which he not only thanks the Philippian Christians for their gift of money, but explains that he'll take sole responsibility for Epaphroditus's returning to them, uh, not having fully discharged his duty to St. Paul. 
If they asked Epaphroditus why didn't he stay with Paul and serve him as they had instructed him to do, well, here's their answer. St. Paul sent me back to you. He said he didn't need my help any longer. (laughs) At the same time, Paul expresses deep appreciation of what Epaphroditus has done for him already. He tells the Philippians that this is the kind of man they should honor. This is significant. The Church of Philippi was a one of the best churches out there, and they were well supplied with administrators and pastors and teachers and deacons. And um, yet St. Paul says, hey, if the occasion arises to add to the number of your leaders, Epaphroditus shouldn't be overlooked. He had other co-workers in the Philippian church. One of them, Clement, is named in Philippians 4.3. But others, the rest of my fellow workers, are unnamed. Now, Paul doesn't give them by name, but he does say of those he doesn't name. He says, their names are written in the book of life. The reference to Clement is preceded by the an honorable mention of two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who says Paul, quote, labored side by side with me in the gospel. And the verb labor there is a very strong word. He uses it earlier in the letter when he speaks of all the Philippian Christians striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1.27. So however these two women collaborated with St. Paul, it wasn't confined to making coffee and getting donuts. Uh, They were laboring with him, striving with him. Now it's important to remember that these these were people, not perfect people. They had, all of them were sinners who were being redeemed. They had been redeemed in Christ and now were kind of living out Uh, what Christ had done for them. So they had conflicts. The most famous is actually the conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Um, These were Barnabas is called a a son of encouragement, and yet he and Paul came to loggerheads. They had the split, and they went their separate ways, each pursuing his own missionary strategy. Now, St. Paul has to write to the Philippians and tell Euodia and Syntyche to, you know, agree with one another, he says, agree with one another, and he in fact asks a true yoke fellow, another interesting phrase, um, that may have been Luke, to go ahead and help Euodia and Syntyche. In other words, he had somebody who was going to help conciliate between them. Like I said, it may have been Luke. Commentators are disagreed about that. But the list of co-workers is not yet exhausted in Romans 16, verse 9. Paul sends greetings to Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And then there is uh, Justus, uh, who's mentioned along with Aristarchus and Mark, as one of three co-workers of Jewish birth who were in Paul's company. Um, he was writing the Colossians, and he said, these men have been a comfort to me. I uh, should mention, too, like a number of other Jews who we meet in the New Testament, Justus also has a Jewish name, which is Jesus, or Joshua, Yeshua. And he has a Gentile name, a Latin name, Justice. Then there was the notorious Demas. This is one of Paul's co-workers of Gentile birth, in Col- mentioned in Colossians 4 and Philippines, uh, Philemon 24. But Demas is best remembered not as one of Paul's co-workers, but as the man who deserted him for love of this present age, for love of the world. Uh, Demas wanted to, be, wanted to accommodate the culture rather than live uh, you know, a robust uh, life in Christ. So he's talked about in Second Timothy chapter 4. 
There's another colleague mentioned by Paul towards the end of his letter to the Colossians, and that's Tychicus. Um, he was apparently the bearer of that letter, the, the mailman. And he also did the same for the Ephesians, brought them a letter as well. Uh, Tychicus was charged with bringing the latest news to Paul, and of Paul. He's described by Paul as our dear brother, a trusted servant, his own fellow slave in the Lord. And in Acts 20, verse 4, he's listed among Paul's fellow travelers on his last journey to Rome. So again, these are men who are living together, traveling together, working together. He mentions on two occasions uh, in 2 Timothy uh, and also Titus that Tychicus is uh, uh, um, his messenger. Now, he mentions lots of other people, but he doesn't explicitly call them co-workers. So you have somebody like Tertius in Romans chapter 16, who cooperated with Paul by taking down a letter at his dictation. He's basically an amanuensis or a secretary, and he sends his greetings to Erastus. Now, this is a city treasure, the city treasure of Corinth. Paul is writing to the Romans from Corinth, and one of his friends there is Erastus, the city treasurer. Uh, in fact, you can see uh, at Corinth today uh, a, a, pla a, a plaque which is dedicated to the work of Erastus <laughs> in ancient times. It's amazing. And he talks about our brother Quartus. Now, if Tertius, Paul's secretary, can properly be called one of his co-workers, you can also say the same of Phoebe, who carried the letter to Rome. This was male man or male woman, I guess, to Rome. Uh, it's a four-week journey there. And there are two further pieces of information given about Phoebe. She's called a servant, um, and she is the servant. Some people like to argue she was a deacon, uh, but it, the word that's used there is the, is the standard word for servant. She was servant of a daughter church of the Metropolitan Church of Corinth, where she was a helper of many. And St. Paul says, she's a helper of myself as well. And that word for helper is patroness. Now, it, it's the only place it's used in the New Testament. And it's related to the verb uh, to give aid. So it implies that she was in a position of some affluence or influence in which she was able to render material aid to people, including Paul. He obviously appreciated Phoebe's help. Um, she may have been on the point of making a trip to Rome, and so Paul commends her to the fellowship and hospitality of her fellow Christians there. And there are so many others mentioned. I'd love to tell the story of Onesiphorus, who uh, helped Paul out in Rome, searched him out, found him in prison, um, again, in great danger uh, to himself, and how he was so different than Alexander the coppersmith, who, uh, again, did St. Paul great harm. St. Paul had an extensive social networks of friends, acquaintances, co-workers, co-laborers, fellow travelers, fellow slaves, fellow soldiers, fellow prisoners of war. And it's a mistake to think of him as some sort of lonely, solitary, mystical figure alone in the gospel. He did endure much by himself, but he also endured much as part of a well-known family of friends and associates and co-workers, who for the most part remained faithful friends to St. Paul because they were, first of all, faithful friends of Christ himself. I'm Al Cresta. Father Benedict Groeschel. In the church we speak of seven gifts, wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, 
loyalty, courage, and reverence or fear of the Lord. When I speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these gifts come, they give you the ability to go beyond your strength. If you're struggling to be a good person, a good member of your religion, you know it's a struggle and you don't always make it. I've been at it many, many decades and I still struggle and trip and fall and have holes in my socks. Struggling to be a good person, something that we need help at. And this help comes to us by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. What does the Catholic Catechism teach about divorce? The Church does not permit divorce in a valid marriage because she is firmly adhering to the rules set down by her founder. Jesus Christ made it very clear that a sacramental valid marriage was not to be dissolved. Whoever divorces his wife, he declared, and marries another, commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Therefore, the Church maintains a second marriage cannot be recognized as valid if the first marriage is valid. The Catechism tells us, if the divorced are remarried civilly, they find themselves in a situation that objectively contravenes God's law. In such a situation, they may not receive Eucharistic communion as long as this situation persists. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I come from the other side of the tracks, see? My uncle used to have slot machines. Put one nickel in and it's emptied. Boom. And I brought him home in a bag, and my mother looked at me. Where did you get all that money? I said, I won him. You didn't win him. He fixed the machine. I didn't care if he fixed the machine or not, you know? EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Finding good health care, encouragement for healthier living, or solid spiritual direction can be frustrating. That's why the Catholic healthcare alternative, CMF Curo, is offering a health-sharing option. Curo's Christ-centered wellness services include Catholic wellness coaching, spiritual direction, and a Catholic community supporting your health and wellness needs. Visit cmfcuro.com to learn more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Been interested to 
again, laying out some ideas for gift giving uh, this Christmas season. And I, as you can imagine, books are a big priority for me. And so I've tried to come up with a few uh, selections and trying to present them so that you'll be able to uh, use them uh, to the blessing, the encouragement, the spiritual growth and development of friends and loved ones. And today we're going to talk about a new one. Uh, I've never seen this before. I think it's brand new. It's called Jesus 365. It's a daily invitation to renew your spirit. And uh, the editor of it is an old friend of mine, Lucy Sholin. She is the editor. Now, Lucy, good to have you here, by the way. Thank Let me say you, that. Al. Um, the idea, when I, you've been around books for a long time. In fact, right. I think you at least edited one of my books. Uh, right, I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was the first one that you did for it was, um, Karis or for. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah back just a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Why do Kathy's genuflect? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So uh, tell me. Um, so you've been around books for a while. Why Why this? And, well, actually, yeah. the initiative came from the publisher, The Word Among Us. Okay. Uh, the Word Among Us, as you probably know, is a monthly magazine that mm-hmm. includes scripture for the day, all the mass readings. Mm-hmm. It includes meditations. And then it, uh, every day has a meditation that accompanies those yes. mass readings. Okay. And those meditations have been written over the past, I think, almost 40 years that they've been publishing. Yes. And I was asked to put together a a compilation, you know, of of meditations from there. And the idea was to have it be something that was accessible to Christians of all denominations, not just Catholics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I avoided a lot of sacramental and saintly talk, sure. you know, and um, yeah, it was a, so it was a wonderful job. I probably used meditations just from the past 10 years or okay. so. All right. And I was also asked to put, uh, to use monthly themes. And so, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So every, every month has a theme. Uh, some months are seasonal, like uh, Advent, Christmas, Lent and Easter, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Um the, uh, for the other eight, I used some Ignatian themes, uh, yes. you know, just from, from my study yes. from Ignatius. Well, let's go through some of those. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, well, I think that part of the idea was that, you know, Ignatius had this eight-week set of readings, and the idea was just to draw you more and more into a relationship with the Lord. Right, right. Um, starting out with that, knowledge that God loves you. You know, so I, I started with that uh, mm-hmm. in January. God made me for himself. And uh, so I thought that that might be really a good thing for people to focus on when they're looking at something for a year's worth of readings. Sure. You know, just to allow that uh, those themes to draw you more deeply into your relationship with God. Yeah, he made, he, we, he made us for himself. I mean, I love that. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. It, it, it means, it tells us, first of all, that we are of value. It, it tells us that he will work with us uh, mm-hmm. to bring us to a deeper communion with him. Mm-hmm. And Now, is that the theme through January? Yes, it's it, God made me for Himself. It's a good good right. month to choose too, because I, I normally so. it's a time of 
of uh, new resolutions and right. remembering what what am, what am I here for? What am right. I? Gonna, yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. And then in February, I moved into God forgives me. A lot of times, uh, we'll be moving toward Lent during that time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so I thought that would be a good theme. Yeah. Um, but just that assurance that no matter what I've done in life. The Lord forgives me. The Lord just longs longs for me. You know that mm-hmm. old image of the uh, prodigal son and just the father's open arms. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in March, I moved into Jesus, my Savior. Um, a lot of times, we'll be continuing with Lent during that time, and perhaps moving toward um, Holy Week. And then April, the victory of the cross. Yeah, there you have it. Uh, just. You know, as as Catholics especially, we just love our Easter, yes. and we want to go on and celebrate, celebrate. Yeah, yeah. it is uh, that that whole Holy Week. It's really quite remarkable when you think about it. In, in mm-hmm. a, a world that's growing increasingly secular in its celebrations, the Church continues to maintain the idea of Holy Week, and right. that we do what we can, given our state of life, to to. Uh, Make sure we participate, you know, in the uh, special masses and liturgies of that week, and that's a, that's becoming increasingly distinctive, right? As a, mm-hmm. Catholics do that, uh, no other. Well, the Orthodox may do something like that, but mm-hmm. within the Western world, it's primarily Catholics who make a big deal mm-hmm. of Holy Week. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Agree the victory to celebrate. Yes, the victory of the cross. Yes, and they, then in May, I went back to the Ignatian weeks, um, God provides for me, mm-hmm. um, which again is another assurance of God's great love. Yeah, I think a lot of us endure undue anxiety, really, because God promises to take care of us, yeah. and Jesus repeated that over and over again. Yeah. And it is, it's hard, it's hard to keep that in mind and experience the uh, the rest, the Sabbath rest that is promised us when we're looking at unpaid bills and right. uh, the threats of illness, uh, mm-hmm. uh, children who are causing us difficulty. So right. this uh, whole month focuses on God's provision. Mm-hmm. Right. Very good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Recently I was reading scripture, and I think it was in the New American Bible. I, I think it might be Psalm 138. And, and in a lot of versions it says, the mercy of God endures forever. But I think it was in the NAB. It said, the Lord endures. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I thought about that. <laughs> you know, with all this mess going around, you know, mm-hmm. the Lord is the Lord. And, you know, he's ruling over all the nations. He's ruling over us. Mm-hmm. And he's He's after our hearts. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I always like to th- remember that the climax of the liturgical year is the Feast of Christ the King. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- again, an affirmation that he's ruling over right. all. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah. And then June um, goes to um, God gives himself to me. Hmm. And that uh, the focus there is, uh, is, is more that union, that union with God. And again, in July, Jesus calls me beyond myself. And that's like the call of discipleship. Interesting. You know, like, I like that. No matter what we feel our inadequacies are, obviously God has called us. And God wants to use us. Yeah. God says to each one of us, go and, uh, you know. Yeah. And when a disciple is fully formed, he'll be like his master. Right. 
Right. Oftentimes it's hard to believe, but that is the promise. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And then the next one in August, Jesus makes me his intimate disciple. So entering more deeply into that role of right. disciple. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And September, the theme is Jesus unites me to his body. Hmm. And there, I really tried to focus on our relationships with other Christians, yeah. how okay. key that is really to our growing in the Lord. We need one another. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, I I can get my groceries, I can stay here in my house, I can read books, but I, I've really noticed how much I need people. Yeah. You know, we're social beings. Yeah. And and then Jesus called us together as his church, yeah. as his disciples. Yeah. I mean, psychologists are pointing out that uh, instances of depression and anxiety have risen tremendously, mm-hmm. partially because people are not in uh in society, they're not with others the right. way they used to. Yeah. It's, it's been difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's something we really need. And October, fruit that will last. I thought that was a great theme for kind of the harvest <laughs> harvest <laughs> month. month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. Good. And just talking about the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, the yeah. growth and the love. Uh, November, uh, let us give thanks. Yeah. I chose that as a theme uh, because that's our theme of Thanksgiving, and we should always just give thanks to God. I, I think um, I was reading a pamphlet the other day, and it talked about three practices for growing closer to the Lord. The first one was gratitude. Yeah. And I thought how true that is, that everything that we have comes from God, and part of our relationship with Him is to give Him thanks. Yes. And Scripture repeats that over and over again. It does. And uh, it's in some ways, it, it is, seems like such a small thing to say <laughs> thank you, to give thanks. But Eucharist is Thanksgiving, That's the great right. Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I've, I'd love to point out that St. Paul in um, uh, chapter, Romans chapter 1, um, around verse 18 through th- verse 32, is talking about how the pagans... Um, have been able to see that God exists uh, through the things that have been made. So, um, so there's they have no excuse for not believing that God exists. He says though, but they did not give thanks. Right. Yes. <laughs> and after that, there's this continuing deterioration right. of what happens. Mm-hmm. So the failure to give thanks to recognize that other who created us mm-hmm. when you cut yourself off from Him. Life spins out of control. The uni- moral universe gets turned on its head, mm-hmm. and I think, uh, and even in, in St. Paul's list of what goes wrong, you actually end up with men sleeping with other men, women with other yeah, women. Yeah, all but, sorts of disorder. Yeah, disorder yeah. is is right. where it goes, and so yeah. Thanks. I'm I'm very big. Gratitude is one of those things that I I like to think about because um, you you often have moments of thanksgiving which are spontaneous um it, it just hit you a beautiful day some time off mm-hmm. um right. and all of a sudden you're feeling thanksgiving the good news is that christians can ex- exercise that thanksgiving towards someone they can say god thank you exactly and that's the great tragedy right. of atheism there's nobody, right. to, nobody, to, nobody thank. to thank yeah so. yeah for this beautiful day you yeah. know the snow the snow even the snow yeah. you know is beautiful yeah and uh yeah we can give give thanks for that yes 
In December, of course. December, Emmanuel, God with mm-hmm. us. You know, God, his, his great condescension in coming to live with us. And I, I love us. the uh, logic of this, the orderliness of it. It makes a great deal of sense, too, the, uh, each of these uh, themes as they follow one another. Uh, then you have the difficulty. It's, it would be difficult. I think it would be difficult to go through so much great material and have to select. Right. I would go crazy. Right. All right. <laughs> well, oh, hold it there. Okay. We'll come back and talk about how you did it. Yes. And then we'll get. To, we'll also do some reading from it. Okay. My guest, Lucy Sholin, is uh, editor of Jesus Three Six Five published by The Word Among Us, a daily invitation to renew your spirit. I've been talking about the great gifts for Christmas. This is one of them. I strongly recommend it to you. I'm Al Cresta. We're going to be right back. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, teach me to pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord, teach me to pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. The church isn't saying throw out the baby with the bathwater. Throw out all the media. Don't use the media. What the Pope is saying that make sure that what you are doing is enabling yourself and others to encounter Christ more deeply. And you can't do that unless you reach out. You have to reach out to God first. You have to encounter Him in the Eucharist, in that personal relationship. And then you pray, you reflect, and then you go. In my book, Beyond Sunday, Becoming a 24-7 Catholic, I talk about the three M's of faith, meeting, mercy, and mission. You meet and encounter Christ. You enter into a personal relationship with him. He gives you mercy. And then what do you do? You just sit there and say, oh, thanks, Jesus. See you later. No, you go out on mission exactly as the woman at the well did. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, 
on EWTN Radio. Dr. Ray Garendi. Most experts don't think like you do. Go to the computer. Type in child, self-esteem, search. Last time I looked, 31 million options. The experts believe self-esteem is the preeminent moral virtue. Type in child, humility, search. Crickets. Why? When was the last time you heard a secular expert talk about humility? But that's at the very core of the virtues we want to teach our children. Always remember one thing. When an expert tells you how to raise your child, you have to ask a question. Is this expert of the same worldview that I am? Does he or she value the same virtues I want to impart to my children? Taking a look at a, a wonderful daily meditation volume called Jesus 365. It's published by The Word Among Us, which many of you know as a, a magazine, uh, a collection of uh, daily devotionals. And uh, this book is um, a compilation of some of the, the best uh, meditations over many years. Uh, from the Word Among Us. Uh, its editor is Lucy Sholent, my guest, and uh, this, it's a beautiful book, too. I want to stress that. I mean, yeah. it feels good, right? It's got mm-hmm. this this kind of padded um, cover, right? which gives it's kind of sets it apart from yes. other books on your shelf. Um, it uh, The size is very manageable. You could even actually carry this with you. Um, the co- you, they they decided to do a lot of color. Right. Wow. The, uh, yes, every month has a picture from nature. Uh, and um, the, I, was, I was very delighted to see that. I love being outside. I visited the Abbey of Gethsemane yeah. quite, a, quite a few times. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time a monk said, the monks have two books. The Book of Psalms and the Book of Nature, <laughs> yeah. And how how wonderful that is, yeah. you know, um, just to be in the outdoors in itself can turn your heart to the Lord yeah. when you see the. I mean, He's the greatest artist there could be. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I was delighted to see the pictures that they put in after all my work was done. Yeah, yeah, Feels and nice. yeah, and a lot of color throughout. Um, let's go ahead. What you have some favorites uh, that you can read to us? Well, I just opened to January second, and <laughs> okay, that's the short one. That's the yeah. short one. All yes, right. but it is a beautiful message. Uh, it starts with a quote from Isaiah forty nine. God says, "It is too little for you to be my servant. I will make you a light to the nations." And the meditation. By the way, these meditations were written by a host of authors over the years, and the Word Among Us doesn't credit each okay. meditation. Okay. So I have no idea who wrote these initially, <laughs> but they are all very yeah. 
very devoted Catholics, very uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and lover of lovers of God's word, yeah, obviously. Okay, okay. So uh, the meditation. What does God think when He looks at your expectations? Your vision is too narrow. Your dreams are too small. I want to do much more. God sent the Messiah to be a light to all nations and to bring every person back to God. Jesus died to transform us, altering the very foundation of our lives. God has a massive, exciting, glorious plan for your life. He wants to take your nature and fill it to overflowing with His grace. He wants to make you a light to the nations. How wide and broad is God's plan to save the world? Today, let him save and transform you. Let him bury the old you and raise a brand new you to life. Hmm. And each meditation ends with a prayer. This prayer is, Lord, broaden my vision so I can perceive how you want to use me to build your kingdom. Nice, nice. Again, that's in January, which is the theme of the month, is God made me for himself. So, again, mm-hmm. this speaks to your our identity right. as children of God. Right. Yeah, very good. Yes, yes. Um, did, uh, were there any, any difficult times or months, uh, uh, difficulties in selection? Uh, I mean, you, I imagine you were stuck with a, uh, an embarrassment of riches. Here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that would be the hardest thing. That was. Um, I think when it uh, when I started out, what I would do is I would just kind of go through and say, oh, I'll put this in this month, and I'll put this in this month, and so forth. <laughs> and then at some point, I had to stop and say, okay, how many do I have? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I had May overloaded, and then I had to, you know, kind of rework things and find more things for different months. Yeah. Um, but in general, it wasn't a big problem, because as you said, there was a wealth of material to yeah. work with. And you mentioned that I picked out the best, but I can't say that. You know, yeah. it, was, it, it was kind of random sometimes. Yeah, uh, okay. But often, I think, I mean, I, you, we, they could do this several more times, you know, because there is so much more material, you know, you think 40 years. And, yeah, so we might expect one next year, too. Yeah, could be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But um, anyway, all of these, this was very inspiring for me. I was... Uh, I remember it just striking me. Wow, I really enjoyed doing this. And then I thought, well, why not? You know, this is uh, work that is based on the Word of God. It's inspiring in its own right. And then mm-hmm. these people are bringing out something. And and the Word Among Us, their meditations are often, they have a practical side to them. You know, like this one I just read. It's not just... Historical, like this is what God was saying yes. to those people. Yeah. Right, right. But what does this mean to me? Yeah. You know, how do I look at myself? God loves me. And when you think about it, how God just continues to create new people. You know, the, the world is going on and on and yes. on. Yes. And each one of us is so important to Him, and each one of us He's called to be His special person. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's transgenerational, right? Mm-hmm. It goes back generation after generation after generation, mm-hmm. and um, 
it, it covers all the nations of the earth, all languages, all tribes, and uh, he continues to do his work. And I mean, we we don't even have a we've only um, we've only got a small we can only see a small part of right. what he's been doing in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm looking here at uh, today, yes. uh, which I, I'll read, which okay. I think uh, is fitting. Uh, it's today. Yeah. Uh, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Again, Luke chapter 1, verse 42. The people of the Old Testament were waiting for the Messiah, the one who was going to save them all. They expected a mighty warrior, a wise sage, or a majestic king. But the Messiah came as a little baby. God came to us in one of the most defenseless ways possible, as a baby. He went through all the stages of growth and came in poverty, showing that every human being, no matter their status, is important to God. He came to embrace every person, including you. Jesus continued his way of humble vulnerability right up to his death on the cross. He became a beacon, pointing us to how we should model our lives. Even today, he comes to us in remarkably vulnerable ways uh, in our fellow Christians, in the poor and needy, in children and the aged. That's how valuable each person is to him. Jesus stands before you. He invites you to respond to his vulnerability by being vulnerable yourself, by opening your heart and letting him in. Welcome him in his smallness and humility. And the prayer is, Lord, help me open my heart to you, just as you have opened yours to me. This is interesting. Again, blessed is the fruit of your womb. The focus here is on his smallness and hiddenness. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Very good. Um, the Let's take one. Why don't you pick one from um, the Easter portion of it, uh, the victory portion sure. of it. Sure. Uh, April is uh, the chapter which right. focuses on the victory of the cross. poking around here myself. Okay, yes. Uh, Well, April 18th, Mm -hmm. Psalm 118, verse 17. Yes. Mm -hmm. I shall not not die, but live, and declare the deeds of the Lord. Jesus, you are the risen Lord, and all creation sings your praise. We hear the stones cry out, just as you said they would, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the stone that sealed your tomb is rolled away and proclaims a wondrous mystery. Instead of being an immovable testament to your death, it has become an indisputable witness to the resurrection. (laughs) Loving Savior, because of you, a cruel instrument of death speaks to us of life. By your cross, you have destroyed the enemy and flung open the gates of salvation. Your light shines in our churches, in our homes, in hospital rooms, in the rubble of warfare, and in many dark and dreary places, proclaiming life to anyone who puts their faith in you. So many transformed lives, so many signs of victory. Each one, in its own way, speaks to us of you. Let us look, listen, and believe so that we, too, may be signs of your victory in our world. Jesus, you have conquered death. Show me one new step, however small, that I can take today to declare the deeds of the Lord 
by my life and words. Yeah. Again, there's a theme through these readings of union uh, with Christ, too. Um, let us look, listen, and believe so that we may, too, be signs of your victory in our world. That's uh, Our calling is to be signs of his victory. Right. Uh, we're, we're in union with him mm-hmm. in, that, in that way. Mm-hmm. And every one of those transformed lives is a sign of victory. Yes. Every one of us... Uh, and uh, sometimes sometimes we don't realize that, you know. Uh, we think, wow, the world is still in a lot of trouble. But every single person who is following Jesus right now is a sign of his victory. Right. Every one of us who has overcome something in our lives to live for God, that is a transformation. And, and it's something to be very grateful, grateful for and also... To praise God for because it does show Jesus' victory. Uh, you know, I was talking to some of the staff the other day. We we're just we have a monthly get together just to have lunch and uh, talk about things. And um, we we're talking just actually just yesterday that uh, so many uh, of our stories don't get told. Uh, Stories mm-hmm. of what God has done in mm-hmm. our lives, or stories in ways that um, uh, we've been honored or blessed by one another. Mm-hmm. Those stories don't get told. They don't pepper our conversation. They, mm-hmm. we say, "Well, it's such a small thing. Which mm-hmm. uh, you know, should I bother?" Mm-hmm. Or, or it's such an unusual thing. I, I'm afraid to bring it up because people <laughs> might think I'm a little off base. But we, I mean, that's part of what it means to be part of the family of God. Though it means to be able to share those things as part of our. Or conversation, uh, making joy in our hearts, uh, singing—all uh, these things are supposed to characterize uh, the community of Christ's disciples. And I—I um, I, I just would say again, uh, in, give great encouragement to uh, freely uh, talk about even the small things that right. have happened, the, the blessings that others have been to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I this is I think this is very good. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I am so I I, I often think I am so blessed just to know Jesus. Yeah. And and to be part of the yeah. church, to be part of the body of Christ. Lucy, um, see, I just hear the music's her. coming up on us here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you well, for thank, having me in uh, here. Great, great having you and thank you so much uh, sure. for this. It's a marvelous book. The Word Among Us, the volume is called Jesus 365 as a daily invitation to renew your spirit. Its editor is Lucy Sholand, and um, we'll keep it here for people to get. Great. All right. Okay. Thanks, Thank Lucy. you, Al. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. 
Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. He was a pope, a saint, and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. Pope St. Gregory I the Great is one of only four popes honored as the Great. Among his many achievements was sending missionaries across Northern Europe, especially St. Augustine of Canterbury, who brought Christ to the people of England. In a pun, Pope Gregory called the English people angels. He died in 604. For more about the doctors of the church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak from More to Life. Would you like to have a better family life by Christmas? Join us Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, for our free webinar, A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Advent. In Advent, we're called to make more room in our hearts and homes for Christ. Discover how the grace of Advent can help you celebrate the loving, faithful family life God wants for you. And it's free. Just register at catholichom webinar. That's catholichom webinar. See you there. Good afternoon, and thank you for being with me over the last two hours, talking about the things that matter most. Let me give out some congratulations here. Uh, Iowa Catholic Radio is celebrating 17 years with us, serving Iowa with 5 a.m. and FM stations. So congratulations to Joe Teeling, Matt Wilcom, and everyone at Iowa Catholic Radio from your friends here at EWTN Radio. And let me also remind you that tonight, uh, the webinar with uh, Greg and Lisa Popcheck. A more peaceable family by Christmas. Uh, just you can go to Catholic Home. That's H O M Catholic H O M dot com slash webinar to learn more. It's taking place tonight, seven o'clock Eastern time. And this is one way uh, to again use Advent to make room in our hearts and homes uh, for the Lord. So you can listen tonight. Uh, webinar seven o'clock Eastern. CatholicHOM.com slash webinar. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow for another edition of Cresta in the Afternoon. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A, radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.